Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know the drill. Good optics are a must, whether you're running a red dot sight on your turkey gun or you're running some binos this turkey season, or if you're shopping for a new rifle scope. Vortex Optics needs to be the first place you look. They got something for everybody, whether you're wanting to get some entry-level glass or if you're wanting top-of-the-line glass and really good stuff, they got that too. They also have an unbeatable VIP warranty. If something happens to your Vortex Optic, you can send it in. They will fix it or replace it. Best warranty in the business, bar none. Head on over to MidwayUSA.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on your order of any Vortex product. Again, that's MidwayUSA.com. Go use that promo code SOUTHERN. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the show. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website MeadowCreekMounts.com and use the code SOUTHERN at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We're coming at you live from my truck after getting done scouting this morning. We recorded another Southern Outdoorsman in the field podcast, which you're going to get to hear soon. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. Jacob, how are you doing over there? Doing well, doing well. Hey, this is going to be interesting because uh, we haven't done a podcast with just you and me in a while, mm-hmm. and this is going to be a fun topic because we're going to be talking about uh, you know Southern Outdoorsman going clubbing. <laughs> so uh i don't think i mean i think we've referenced it a little bit but I, I just joined a hunting club this year uh we talked a little bit towards the end of last season about possibly getting in a couple clubs uh, michael joined one i just joined one uh you're not going to join one this year um, I'm a purist. Yeah. <laughs> He's just going to use my guest membership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, joined the club. Um, I initially, wasn't going to join the club. So, I actually, if y'all remember, I think it must have been probably like in February or so, we put the call out where me and Michael were interested in some clubs. And we're like, hey, if any listeners know of clubs, uh, let me know. And we had, I had a listener reach out to me, Cody. Uh, you know who you are. 
um, and said, hey, there's a couple clubs down here that are, are looking for members right now if if you want to check these out. So I got on the Westervelt website and looked and found the one he was talking about, got to talking to the guy, the, the club president. And uh, initially I was like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to join it because it was still like 30 minutes from the house. And I was like, yeah. You little pansy first off. Well, I was well, like 30 well, minutes well, from the house. Thing. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> if I... If the public land I'm, I'm used to hunting is 40 minutes from the house, I'm not going to pay $1,300 to hunt, which is how much the club dues were, mm-hmm. to pay to hunt something that's like barely any closer and, pr- and pretty similar habitat type stuff. So that, that was my thought process. Well, then a bunch of stuff's been going on over the summer. Uh, we ended up selling our house. We're buying a new house in like an hour, actually. <laughs> and uh, uh, that house is like seven minutes from this club and so when we went under contract for that house i'm like okay i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna jump in this so uh i recontacted the president he still had a couple openings so i hopped in it and uh and now we're off to the races still gonna hunt um i think we're gonna do a lot of big changes this year i'm gonna hunt the place i've hunted for the last so and so years talking public public land public land I'm, i'm gonna hunt it during the rut a couple times for sure um, I think pretty much all my early season is going to be on this club. Uh, there's going to be a section in December and maybe like a little bit of January where I go and hunt the mountain area that we scouted. Um, I'm still really excited about that, and we still got to go scout that too a little bit. Uh, but other than that, I'm just going to be hunting this club right next to the house. You know, Other than the trips we're making and everything, this will be the place that, again, the main reason I joined it is just going to be so easy to get to that I can hunt it on like before work, after work, weekends when i don't have a ton of time not just that but another reason why we were talking <laughs> about joining a club is to kind of change up not change up but add a different kind of value to the podcast because if you've been a long time listener you know that we interview a lot of public land hunters which is awesome which is great absolutely love it but it's kind of interesting because we've had feedback from some guys that, li- that hunt private land and they're just like man i wish you do more private land stuff i'm like well this stuff we're talking about can apply to private land mm-hmm. and some of the guys for whatever reason just like there's a disconnect I'm like, if one of us joins a club, that's one reason why I was glad Michael joined a club, is to be able to kind of talk from that aspect. Like, hey, now you're hunting a club. You have a limited amount of property that you can access, you can hunt, uh, along with, you know, there's designated ever how many other guys that have access to the property. So, you know, it changes stuff up a little bit. Um, and, you know, then, Andrew, you joined the club. I'm like, this is going to be cool because it's now going to be able to kind of, we can talk about a little bit more from like that public, that public land perspective verse or in addition to, you know, hunting lease property or a hunting club, which again, just for clarification for listeners, a hunting club is for anyone that doesn't know what that is. And I know a lot of you guys do know what that is, but is where you have a a large lease. Like this is uh, 1800 acres, 1800 acres. That is uh, a big lease. That lease is going to be over $20,000 that then, you know, guys will start a hunting club where they'll, you know, offer dues at a certain amount which is yours is like 1300 bucks yep for you know ever how many members uh to be able to kind of lease that property lease that larger piece of property so that's Mm kind of like where you see like these hunting clubs um also you know some guys might just like i'm just going to do a private lease which is you know your own lease and you might have a couple buddies that hunt on it and that's that's fine but this is this is different so you get more guys that hunt on it yep with family members and all that kind of stuff but this is going to be really kind of interesting and as we've learned very recently you know, we, we've talked about private land. We've talked about hunting clubs. It, and again, they're not all equal, as in hunting pressure, hunting opportunity, what the land has to offer, and all kind of stuff. But we've always talked about it being 
a lot of these hunting clubs could have as much or more hunting pressure than some of this private land, or I'm sorry, more than this public land yep. that you know a lot of us hunt on. But <laughs> there's a but there. Might have to uh, eat our words a little bit. Might have to. No, no, but, but there is opportunity, and again, not all clubs are like this, but this club very specifically is, where it is very predictable where everybody's hunting, and best thing yet is the quote-unquote pinout board, which is a map, aerial map of the property that guys <laughs> have to have a actual thumbtack yep. and go and point exactly where they're going to go hunt, is in the little clubhouse, and you can literally see where everybody's hunting, and there is a huge swath of the property that, that, they're either, nobody that either people are lying about not going to, mm-hmm. or literally nobody's stepping foot on like huge swaths of the property. Everybody's going to these food plots and oh, these yeah. real big hardwood ranges. Oh, yeah, dude. And, you know, we went and toured the club, so you went with me to go actually tour the place. And I, I pretty much already decided, just based on the maps and proximity to the house, I'm like, okay, I'm going to join this. But let's go tour it anyways and just make sure before... Uh, before I hand him a check and so me and you went out there and we go looking at it and we go take the tour and everything and, and I'm just asking some questions about the club we, we should go over some of those questions because there are some really good questions that we asked or you asked I asked too and I'm sitting in the back of the truck after he, some of the answers I'm like salivating in the back of the truck I'm like <laughs> oh Jacob, Jacob leaned up he's like y'all don't have another opening yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy's like sorry man try next year yeah but um, <laughs> but but no for real <clears throat> I mean there was some specific questions that we asked that I thought was kind of interesting and I mean a couple of those and this is something that again if you're a, a guy looking to get in a club I would ask some specific questions you know, you kind of started off, Andrew, like early on talking a little bit about the property, the guys that hunt it, all that kind of stuff. Yep, yep. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to fill out the present, whoever's giving you a tour of the property, you're trying to fill them out without being straight up telling them of like maybe like the style of hunting you're doing. Yeah. Like you're, you're like, you're asking a lot of kind of like open-ended questions and seeing like if he would run with them. Yeah. Exactly. So like, yeah. what are some of the examples of like some things that you would personally ask that again just kind of like open the door of like pandora's box of like you had a better idea of like what they're actually doing out there yeah one of the one of the first things i asked was like well so uh yeah i mean do a lot of y'all hunt out here i mean i i just asked straight up like hey is there usually a lot of guys out here in gun season uh and he's like eh not really you know there's 18 members uh which this is another thing about that club by the way 1800 acres 18 members 100 acres a member uh, there's not like assigned areas or anything, but that's just like the, what the ratio comes out to. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. The the h- real high pressure clubs, you're looking at like 20 <laughs> acres of a member or something like that. Yeah. That, that's where you get into really high pressure clubs. So uh, I asked him about that, and he said that out of all the guys in it, there's like maybe four or five of them that are out there pretty regularly. They all gun hunt. Um, and he kind of he he took that and ran with it, and he's like, yeah, you know, they'll come sit on their food plots and. You know, they'll, they'll try to shoot a doe every once in a while, this and that. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, there's a couple of them that live close to the club, like like I'm about to be. And uh, they're, they're out there a decent bit, but didn't sound like they were just, like, hammering the place at all. Uh, and then the other question I asked, which I was very curious about, I was, you know, just having conversation, driving around. I was like, so do you like to hunt out of a climber or what? And he's like, no, pretty much all of us are just hunting out of shooting houses or ladder stands. And I was like. Sweet. Oh, or sitting on the ground. Or sitting on the ground. And you're like, okay, sweet. And I was like, like, okay. Like, check. <laughs> and another thing that was about the property that I thought was really interesting is how the property lays out. This property is really interesting because it's super diverse. It goes from, like, flat land, like swamps, and, like, 
and very subtle little rolling hills with uh you know some pines on them yep to like huge ridges like yeah. massive ridges arid ridges arid ri- yeah if you explain arid ridges like how would you explain that um you get up there and it's just like it's very rocky um dry like a lot of sunlight getting to it a lot of pine trees it's like almost not deserty cuz it's not a desert but it's like more more like that than other areas that you go to. Like yeah, so you it's you not walk moisture. around, you find like a cactus every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what that those ridges are like. But looking at the property, the property has quite a quite a few food plots. It has a couple uh, new clear cuts uh, or cutovers. Um, you know, it has power line on the property. Um, just you know, different factors like that. And the eye opening thing again for I think us is like after asking some of these questions. And I was kind of asking them more so. I'm trying, I'm trying to think, like specifically. Uh, I, I was asking a little bit about the the road access because one thing that's very noticeable about this property is it has a really good road system. Oh, this is what he said, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, sign me up right now, okay? He was talking about roads. This is where we're getting at. So the property has a really good road system on it. <laughs> oh yeah, no. And doing. he's like, yeah, uh, the guy, the president, he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, road. He's like, well, you know, just he started showing us on the aerial map at the pinout board. He's like, okay, so you know, this is where we're at. You know, this kind of roads. You know, this is all real drivable. He's like, this area right here is pretty much impassable. Like you can't ever really drive through there. He's like, you might be able to do it with an ATV or four wheeler, but it's pretty rough over here. Don't just don't ever drive over there. Like you can't get a vehicle in there. Like it's pretty much walking only. And I'm like, all right, circle that area. Circle that <laughs> there's, huge there's area. There's about zero marks in the map from where people pin out over Yeah. There. Like if you couldn't drive your vehicle through that side of the property, like nobody was going. Yep. And that's literally like the whole Eastern side of this property. I mean, it's probably an area that's probably 500 acres maybe. Mm-hmm. Is like little to no. Okay, maybe it's not that big. Maybe it's two hundred fifty acres. That one spot across the creek, but very little, very few people are actually going in there. Yeah, because uh, yeah. they can't drive in there. And clearly, it showed because this pinout board, which is old, I haven't seen like a thumbtack pinout board in a forever. Like even like the last club, like my uncles were in that I went and joined, they had it and it was magnetic. So you had like magnets. Oh man, we're, that's fancy. We're, I've, we're, I've only had thumbtack. Really? Boards. No, this is like magnetic, and like you just like put your stuff. So it's hard. You can't ever see a pattern like where guys were at. But this, I mean, you can see where everybody's punching a hole in the spot and like where <laughs> yeah. guys are going. So hey, it's man, like, there's a certain food plots or whatever where it is just wore like out. Like you can't even see the food plot anymore. It is like a blank. There's a hole in the map because <laughs> there's been so many thumbtacks pushed into it right there. Yeah, it just pinned out so many times in that one spot. And, you know, he's talking about some other members of the club. I'm like, so what are the other guys like? And, you know, he's like, oh, well, so-and-so, he likes to hunt this food plot. That's kind of his area. That's where he hunts all the time. And, you know, you can see that on the pinout board. It's just, again, just wore out in that one spot where that guy comes in and he hunts his spot, um, you know, several times a year, I guess, during during gun season. And then a lot of the other guys in the club, they're your club members. That it, it sounds like they're they're going hunting once a year, and it's whatever week Alabama or Auburn's not playing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's whatever whatever team they root for. It's their bye week. That's, that's when they go hunt. Oh. And it's pretty much the only time they hunt. Uh, and so – it's a it's a good situation from that perspective, just because there's not going to be very much pressure out there. Um, but with even with the low pressure, they've killed some nice bucks off the place. He was showing me pictures. Um, I got some pictures from the the guy that told me about the club of some deer that have been killed in that area. Plenty of good bucks, really good bucks. Um, 
So uh, I'll say this: he shows some. He shows, shows some trail cameras. He's like, "Oh, here, here's some deer that you know that we've had trail cam photos of," or I've, or he's like, "I've had trail cam photos of," and they're all like nice deer. I mean, they're like the biggest one was probably you know 125 inches. Like yeah. none of them are absolute monsters, but mm-hmm. we have a listener or that's across the road in a club adjacent to it. Yep. And he said he he sent you some stuff with some absolute giants. Yeah, he sent me some pictures of some big deer. And, and see what it what it tells me is and this probably sets up. I'm like, there should be some monsters on this property. Yep. And it what it shows me is like where these guys are probably running truck camera and all that kind of stuff. Like they're getting just a fraction of what's actually out there. Mm-hmm. Like just a fraction. Um, and I'm like, there's just there's so much more to this property than where these super obvious spots that these guys are hunting on, and they're probably missing a lot of opportunity for like some of these bigger older bucks. Mm-hmm. So I'm like that got me again even more excited when I was looking at because he was showing some deer, I mean, he's showing some photos like I'm like yeah those are great deer but it's nothing like shooter over, deer for sure yeah it's something that's like no not like overly spectacular it's not like one of those things where you're like oh my god it's a freaking giant a big like, old golly whopper like the one that like you know tests your marriage and your your, your work <laughs> life and everything else oh yeah <laughs> uh, there was none of those on there but uh, you know there I think there's some opportunity for some absolute monsters to be on that property that just people don't ever see because they're not going to that side of the property yeah definitely seems like very predictable hunting pattern and you know there's other areas there's some hardwood bottoms and stuff that i had been looking at on the map that i was kind of wondering if people would go hunt and after looking at it on the pinout board people hunt it but it's pretty sporadic there's not one spot where people are always sitting in there there's just kind of holes all up and down this this creek bottom mm-hmm. where you know some guys going to a random spot and pinning out and and also you know you, if someone's not going to a like a food plot it's kind of hard to know how if they're putting that pin actually right where they go, mm-hmm. they might put put it in the vicinity. But still, it gives you a good idea of, of what they're actually doing. I mean, or, or the general area that they're going to. And, and a lot of times you can kind of guess what they're doing based on that. Not to go hunt their spots or anything, but to avoid them, really. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of, of why we're talking about that pinout board. We're like, oh, we can see where everyone hunts. Well, not, not that I'm like, we don't want to go hunt those spots. We want to use that information to figure out how are the deer avoiding these guys. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes back to the episode we did with Kevin Tolis, uh, and I can't remember exactly. the episode number, um, but, you know, Kevin Tolis has had a ton of success hunting areas like this, like hunting hunting on a bunch of different hunting clubs. I think he said he's been into, like, almost, like, 15 hunting clubs mm-hmm. um, and having a ton of success kind of studying truly where other guys are hunting and where is that lack of pressure. Like, where is that little area in between like, the food plots that these bucks can spend a lot of time at traveling and cruising through that just go unseen because nobody's sitting down there mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of hunting less obvious spots. You know, he talked about in the episode, check behind the camp house. And guess what? We did that and, yeah. that, and found some awesome stuff. I mean, within 150 yards, 200 yards behind the camp house uh, and, and no human sign really other than right, right next to the little pond. Yeah. So uh, episode 206 was the first one we did with Kevin Tullis. It's Finding and Hunting Big Buck Sanctuaries with Kevin Tullis. And then we did a second one with him, which was episode 342, The Ultimate Guide to Find and Join a Hunting Club with Kevin Tullis. Yep. And that, that episode, we talk about a lot of this stuff that we're talking about where I think he might have even mentioned that if you can find a club with a pinout board where you can see where everyone's hunting. Oh, he's like, it's golden. No, it's like, it's like the ultimate opportunity like again when i saw that i'm like they're old school i'm like dude i'm like, mm. Mm. I'm like, mm. I'm like mm. okay all right oh yeah well and two just like those food plots also you know those guys are hunting those food plots they i don't know what they plant yet but 
Uh, I mean, from what I understand, from what he was explaining to me, they kill a decent amount of deer off those food plots. Um, they, like I said, they killed a couple nice bucks. I think some of those were killed on food plots. I know one of them was killed in a cutover. Um, but if those guys are putting the, that pressure on those areas, there's just certain spots that we've already seen on the club that just look so perfect for a deer to swing downwind of one of those or downstream of one with falling thermals. Mm-hmm. And so those are kind of the spots that we're going to be looking for here pretty soon, which we haven't really branched out and even looked at those yet. We've been looking more at the swamp on the property. Yeah, yeah. We've been... Which is a whole other deal of why I wanted to join this property. There, You know, we talked about that, that big hill, the arid, you know, really abrupt ridges that come up. Well, they, they kind of erupt up out of this very flat, kind of swampy area like half the property is i mean super flat mm-hmm. like a dang pancake and uh that's one of the areas that also got me interested just because it's so diverse and uh swampy looking and just looks cool and it's right there around the camp house and it just looks like a place where no one's going to mess with mm-hmm. because people are going to drive and they're going to get hit the camp house to pin out and then they're probably thinking about man i got to get to the other side of this property i got to get to my spot and they're just in and out probably not looking at any of that stuff around there hopefully uh and it's just thick and nasty it doesn't look that appealing unless you're you know into this kind of thicket hunting type of stuff like everybody i grew up with would like never hunt back there mm-hmm. you know everyone i grew up hunting with uh and that's why it, that's why i liked it um it just looks so good on the map and we actually ended up going in there already and it looks great yeah, it looks that, great on the ground too the old wood duck hole slash uh water moxing hole Moxon hole, oh, yeah. whatever you call it. Yeah, I'll say yeah for wood ducks, man. We better kill a buck out of there before duck season comes in, because I'm gonna. I don't know if I can resist the temptation. They're gonna be in it, bro. I'm so excited about shooting some woodies in there. I was gonna say you gotta do what you gotta do, but also just again something that's interesting about this property, uh, and again just interesting about like the content that's going to be able to come out of like you hunting this club, me coming as a guest a couple times, just kind of seeing what's happening is understanding like that dynamic relationship when you have, again, you're on a, compared to like a pieces of public land that we hunt, it's a much smaller piece of property. Yep. But again, the reason why you join is because the convenience factor is so close. I mean, literally super close to the house uh, that y'all are moving to, but the dynamic is going to be trying to see like truly how predictable is a lot of this hunting pressure mm-hmm. and how predictable like especially after this because this club's been there for a long time i mean for a while i think the guy said like he's, he's specific, had it for seven he's years. had it for seven years but of course it was least and it was a club before that too um but just because anyone that's hunted privately in a lot where you have like a lot of like shooting houses or blinds or ladder stands where there's always somebody hunting it every single year a lot of your especially like your does your older does that don't get shot they know that stuff's there, and they just learn through conditioning that, oh, I'm going to swing downwind of that spot, and yep. you get blown at. And it's like, the bucks are doing the same thing. Yeah. And it's going to be super interesting to kind of see that, again, that dynamic of, like, how predictable these guys are going to be hunting these specific spots, and where you can kind of find, like, these buffer areas that these deer maybe are scent checking, you know, these food plots, or, uh, you know, smaller cutovers, or gas lines, or whatever, and try to figure out like where you can you know not only run trail cameras but also find some good sign. I mean, you're talking about one. There was a um, there's there's a big thermal hub, not terribly far off the road, where you have like a a mulched area or cut clear cut up against these smaller pines in like a SMZ area. So you have all these terrain features coming together, and it's like more than likely nobody's really hunting there. I think you even looked at the 
map and there wasn't anybody ever pinning out in that spot. Yep. Yeah, no. Very rarely was anybody pinning out there, which I haven't been able to get back in the camp house yet because I want to I wanna really sit down and study that board and, and really look at it because the only time that we've actually seen it uh, was when the club president was with us. He was just showing us around. And so we kind of got to glance at it, but I haven't got to just stand there and like really pick it apart just yet because uh, i got to get a different key for that lock. So I only got one key now. Yep. But I got to ask, like, what else has you kind of excited about the property in, like, taking the, the duck hunting out of the equation? So, like, <laughs> uh, don't, we don't care about the duck hunting right now. What about the rabbit hunting? So no, I don't care about that right nobody now. rabbit hunts. That's one of the first things I asked him. I was like, man, I got some guys. They got a whole pack of beagles. You mind if we come out here in February and, and run these uh, rabbits out here? He's like, dude, go ahead. I'm yep. like, heck yeah. It's about to go down. We saw five rabbits this morning. Their time will come. Their time will come. <laughs> I'm not too. I'm not, I mean, yeah, rabbit hunting is cool, but like, I'm not overly excited about rabbit hunting right now. I'm thinking more, you know, white tails, bro. White tails. White tails, yes, sir. But again, so what's got you excited again for like the the layout of the property so far? Like what you've been finding, you know, what you've learned from, you know, these guys yep. are, that have been hunting it for a while, but you know, they they seem to be, you know, have their their style of hunting that, you know, these guys are being successful, but they're they're still not. I think they're they're not hitting. They're, they're killing the deer that they've learned how to kill, and there's deer in there that have learned how to avoid them. Yeah. And so that's, those are the deer that I'm hoping to go after. Um, like, you know, I, I think there's probably some, like, really nice deer in the neighborhood. I don't know if they're on the property or not. Hopefully they are. But I, I have a feeling that, like you said, you know, he had a lot of solid bucks on camera, but I feel like there's going to be, like, one or two just really nice ones somewhere in there. Just got to figure out where they're at. And I got a couple of ideas of where I think they're at, but... Uh, I mean, I don't know. One of the main things I'm I'm excited about is the just the proximity to my house, being able to be out there so much. And this is something that I've had issues with in years past, especially with work situations and weekends and all that stuff. Is before, you know, if I'm hunting a, a piece of public land that's 45 minutes from my house, it's it's extremely difficult for me to get out there and like scout. And a lot of people out there can relate with this, where you go out and you got Saturday and maybe Sunday to hunt. Or like for me, a lot of times I'd hunt like Saturday morning and like Sunday afternoon or all day Saturday and Sunday afternoon or something like that. And when you're doing that, it's like you're hitting a reset button every single week because that most recent sign that you find on Saturday, you know, that following Saturday, it might not be hot anymore. Mm-hmm. And and so it, it just makes it really hard because it's almost like you're starting over every single week. Uh, out here, it being seven minutes from the house on days I work from home. I can just run out there before work, on my lunch break, after work, whenever, and uh, not even do just hardcore scouting, but we have a guest that I think that we're going to interview coming up who he was talking about on his club. I think he lives close to it. I don't know. You're the one that talked to him, but going out and finding those chasing tracks. Mm -hmm. So going and, and driving the roads and looking for tracks on a regular basis and getting a really good idea of where the deer are hanging out at, which directions they're traveling. And then by the time you go in there to hunt it, you're, you already got a really good starting point of where they're probably at and and just keeping tabs on them. So that's the part I'm the most excited about is being able to just continuously hunt this place often, scout it all the time and like really get in tune with what's going on out there. Yeah. Really bump up the hunting pressure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. hundred percent. They're going to really escalate that hunting pressure. (laughs) These deer are like, oh my God, I've never seen somebody in this spot before. Oh yeah. It's going to be great. So, oh, oh, also, by the way, we found a really nice deadhead today. Yeah, oh, yeah. So we went and scouted the swamp. So there's kind of three sections to the swamp. 
We went to the first one last week. Uh, if you're a subscriber, you heard our In the Field episode that we dropped. Or I guess it was two weeks ago. Um, we went out and literally just recorded In the Field while we were scouting, walking around, talking about what we were seeing, studying it, whatever. Uh, and we went into the part of the swamp, and we were looking at some oaks, and we were looking at some nice habitat edges. Uh, we found like a nice beaver run that was coming up out of the swamp going into this uh, pine plantation. And there was big, nice tracks coming right down that beaver run. So we put a camera on that. Haven't checked it yet. Uh, might actually check it tomorrow and, uh, and, and probably adjust it a little bit. But we went and hit that spot. And then we scouted section number two of the swamp today because there's kind of a creek that, that comes out and kind of forks. And so you got like three distinct parts of the swamp. So we scouted the first one last week. Looked great. A lot of buck sign. A lot of deer sign in general. Really cool setups. Mm-hmm. It just makes so much sense. Uh, really excited about that. Scouted number two today. Not as rich in sign. Definitely a travel area, though. Uh, walking through there. They're not staying in this particular part of the swamp, but they are passing through it. So part two of the swamp today. Found a bunch of tracks going through there. Kind of what you would call like a flow area. What Warren Womack would call a flow area. Mm-hmm. Um, not a defined trail or anything. You know, there's parts where there was a lot of tracks going through one area, but, you know, it could be just a group of deer that came through there like one time. Um, so we scouted that, looked pretty good, um, found some nice little oak groves in there that might be good feed trees for early season. And then on the way out, sure enough, dude, we found a nice deadhead, really nice deadhead, uh, that had been there for a while. Uh, nice 10 point mm-hmm. wide buck. How wide do you think he is? Mm, I'm horrible at guessing these things, so I'm not even going to try. Probably 16, 17 inches, something like that. Yep. Yep. Something like that. Maybe, oh, maybe a little bit bigger. I don't know. I didn't put a tape to him. Maybe maybe eighteen. Great uh, mass to him. Yeah, good, good mass. Big big skull and deer, but but he was in the area that we talked about for this upcoming. Well, I, I don't know when the in the field episode's going to come out, but it'll it'll drop after this. Uh, I, I talk a little bit about like that f- area that's like a flow area where these big pines. It's got a little bit of brush in it, but it's nothing nearly as thick as what we would imagine. And it's definitely something like the deer aren't necessarily like going to necessarily bed in, I don't think. Yeah, no. They're getting shaded out, 100% getting shaded out, for sure. Um, it's kind of getting to that point where it's the green carpet effect. I think we say that in one of the recordings where those pines are just growing up and they're getting tall and they're growing together and they're shading out everything underneath them. And so there's not, there's not any food down there. There's not really any cover. So... There's not really much there for a deer, but if nobody's hunting it, if it's on the other side of this this swamp and you got to cross a swamp to get to it or use some kind of creative access to get in there, clearly there was nobody in there. We did find one old ladder stand, very old ladder stand grown into a tree. No telling how long it's been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not really counting that as any pressure, but there just wasn't any people sign in there. And as long as there's not people sign and they feel comfortable flowing through that area, moving through there, then it could be a really good spot. And especially when we started getting there towards the end, you got really excited about the spot. And you're like, man, I'll tell you what. I mean, this looks kind of, it doesn't look that great, but it might actually end up being really good. Uh, and then and then we found that deadhead in there. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of stuff I, I hunted growing up, where it's like bigger pines, like they're not necessarily mature pines. They're uh, they're all, they're still probably a touch too small for it to be pole, bar, uh, pole wood or whatever. Yeah. Tire pole, anyways. Yep. Um, so, so, so none of that that quite old i mean they're not quite that old they're probably 15 to 18 years old but it reminds me of some of these areas that i've seen and hunted where it's again it's like a flow area like there's no defined trails going through it like you'll find some tracks every now and then find some rubs droppings but they're just kind of like 
they're just meandering through these pines going from like there's a hardwood or hardwood i can't even talk today hardwood oak you know flat that had a bunch of white oaks on it it looks like they're coming from like that direction maybe even from across the road and they're kind of transitioning back down to the other side of the swamp uh towards like a bigger pine thicket and where there's a uh like a a clear cut and stuff like that also another thing that kind of sets up really interesting is those pines are a little bit higher elevation than the swamp is and the swamp edge is fairly thick uh it's got those uh what's the alders uh hazel 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 alders that are down there and there's some rubs going through that and there's a lot of sun around the edge of it and i was telling andrew like it's, it's one of those areas that when you scout it and you're looking at it like okay this looks pretty good but how it kind of sets up is setting off that hazel alder edge, getting up in the pines, probably 30, 40 yards, whatever, and, and literally be able to sit there and watch into that swamp edge uh, for any of that sign, for any of those deer that are actually kind of cruising through there or easing through there, because clearly they're doing it. I mean, the sign was there. Um, and then maybe you catch on and slipping through the pines as well. But uh, it, it's, again, super, super interesting. But this property, it just sets up so good. If you're like that mobile hunter, uh, you know, you're going out there with, you know, stand, sticks, saddle, sticks, whatever, even a climber in some situations, like you're going to be able to get away from so many more people unless these guys are just wanting to sit on the ground. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, 90% of these people are hunting off, you know, ladder stands, shooting houses, blinds stuff like that and they're, they're not really being mobile as an aspect they're, they're setting something up as they go in there you oh know, yeah maybe have they have some i'm sure they have some pre-hung you know uh lock on steps but again just where we were at i just i don't imagine them really putting that time and effort to get in there yeah yeah uh, i haven't found anything like that yet when you think turkey calls Think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB hen, some days I might like the ghost cut. Some situations I might like the country girl call, you know, that I can cut on really hard, where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation. And hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. As deer seasons come to a close for most of us in the southeast, this is when you really got to start paying attention when we start getting these warmer temps for a lot of these insects. It was actually kind of crazy. We were out hunting a couple weeks ago with the dogs, and we got into a bunch of ticks in a day that it was just two days before everything was froze up and iced up. But make sure you're protecting yourself and your family with Sawyer's. Everything from the best insect repellents, especially their deep products, but also the Picaridin products for protecting yourself from ticks, mosquitoes, all kinds of flying insects as well, but also their water filtration devices, first aid kits, and more. Sawyer's has you covered. You can pick up Sawyer's products from a lot of your sporting goods stores, whether you have a local sporting goods store or one of the big box stores like a Bass Pro Shop or even like a Walmart. You can pick up your Sawyer products from there. Again, we've truly enjoyed using Sawyer products. And again, as we head into the springtime, it's going to be more and more important, especially with the insect repellents, to make sure that you're well protected going into this springtime. So give Sawyer's a chance going into this turkey season. Man, Mark's Outdoors is your one-stop shop 
for everything outdoor and shooting related. They're a family-owned business that's been around for over 40 years now, been serving the Birmingham area, but now they have opened their doors to everyone across the United States through their online store. Again, me and Andrew have been using Mark's Outdoors for years now. They have unbelievable supplies of literally anything that we need we can pick up from Mark's Outdoors. They're even carrying different saddle companies, sticks, platforms, the whole nine yards at Mark's Outdoors. And again, if you don't live in Alabama and you don't want to make the drive to Birmingham, you can go over to their website, marksoutdoors.com, and actually shop on their online store to get awesome deals on different products that you may be needing right now and be able to get to you in a very timely manner as well. So give Marks Outdoors a try. We promise you, you'll enjoy them. They have unbelievable customer service and some of the best guys in the industry. And man, honestly, the, having the, the shooting houses and ladder stands and everything, which are like, they're all communal, so the whole club can use them. Lock-ons and stuff, uh, I don't think you're supposed to get in somebody else's lock-on, but ladder stands are fair game. Uh, but just the shooting houses on food plots, that's also going to be nice for just a change of pace for, you know, if, if Tiffany wants to come out and maybe try to shoot a doe or something, or my stepfather, Mike, he wants to shoot his first deer uh, this year. So that'll be nice just to be able to bring them out there and have like easy spots to get to like that, but then also have the option to you know swing out into the woods somewhere and get downwind of them. Forget that you dropping Tiffany off. It, Tiff, you walk a hundred yards down there, getting that getting that bond. I'm going this way. Yep. Hey, dude, I knew a guy in a club I grew up in. That's what he did. He bring he would bring guests and he would put his guests in certain spots that were like just didn't make much sense. And he would get go get downwind of them and, and kill deer doing that all the time. Smart man. Yeah, he had it figured out. <laughs> that was our that was our like running joke for like man. He's gonna put you. We had a spot called the pit, and he would put people in the pit and then go get downwind of the pit. So, anyways. One time, one of his guests killed a nice deer in the pit, though. So, you know, you never know about those spots. <laughs> you know, the pit, the gar hole, whatever you want to call it. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, no, no it's it's going to be kind of cool to, again, have you in this club and also Michael in his club and just kind of seeing, again, what that dynamic's like, how you're able to kind of build a pattern. Also, another thing that's interesting about this property is with it being so close to the house, having pretty good road access where you can drive a lot of places and then hike in, uh, is to be able to run, you know, decent amount of trail cameras and just kind of seeing like what you can find and in, in, in what you can locate. Because, you know, a couple of things that we found that was just kind of interesting is again, like that beaver slide that we made a reel, it's on Instagram, you can go look at it. Or the, it's clearly a batch of group of bucks using that beaver slide coming like it goes into the swamp and they're bedding up on the dry ground in the swamp and they're coming out and kind of feeding around the edge of it and you got a trail camera there and it's like those deer are using that area pretty heavily i mean there's a ton of sign in that mm-hmm. and stuff and then you just go over to the whole complete other side where it doesn't have that much dense thick cover like that. that's kind of above you know the water line and it's like that sign's just more sporadic yep. um which you know kind of gives you even more confidence when you're going in like hey you know, I know that they're in this, you know, general vicinity of this area. It's just going to be interesting how they're going to be using it, you know, especially come pre-rut in the rut and what that looks like. Yeah, and, you know, that that swamp looks great. There's other spots in there, though, in, that, in the hilly parts of the property that also look phenomenal. Well, there's one spot where there's just this huge, really steep ridge uh, with, like, an, uh, I can't remember if there's a bench on it or not, but the, the, the steep part of this ridge it just sets up so good for cruising because it kind of, uh, empties off into saddles on both sides of it. Um, so those are some of the next places that, uh, oh yeah, look, I sent him the picture of that, that deadhead. I said, does it, did anyone have a picture of this? And he said, I think so. Where'd you find him at? <laughs> Where are you going to tell him? 
We'll see. <laughs> you need to tell me it was behind one of those food pots. Mm-hmm. Out in the pines. Out in the pines. Yep. I think it I think it'll be a good year, man. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to bow hunt it some. Another thing is I don't think anybody really bow hunts it. Uh, the club president said that he gets out there a little bit with a crossbow in early season, but for the most part, um, for bow season, I think I got the place to myself pretty much. Well, it's like anything. I mean, most even the public lands like that. I mean, this, yep. the, the amount of people, especially if it's hot, the amount of people that are actually going out there and hunting, it's, it's few and far between to be 100% honest. I'll tell you another thing about the property that's interesting is – I was expecting there to be more white oaks. I'm used to going to places where when you get into a hardwood stand, it is like oak trees galore, like especially white oaks. And uh, that can make it kind of hard to narrow down. But when you get in here, a lot of these bottoms are not really oak dominated. A lot of them got a lot of poplar in them, um, a lot of sweet gums all the way down in the bottoms. And you'll have just little patches of oaks. And you'll find like five or six or, or three or four white oaks or water oaks kind of all growing in a group together which i personally really love just because if they're dropping dude you're going to get right there in the middle of them and and hopefully something's going to happen it's not like you're you're hunting a a 300 yard stretch of smz that's got an oak tree every 15 feet that's yeah dropping. That's, that's true you're, you're going to have little patches which i really like for uh some early season hunting and and you know, using the creeks to access and kind of find some of these crossings and, and hopefully go and be able to key in on those things. I think that'll be fun. I've actually got you. Uh, I don't think that you were all fired up about early season out there. I think early season out there is going to be awesome. I, I, I at least hope it will. I mean, unpressured deer, you know, isolated food sources. Uh, there, I mean, there's potential there for sure. I mean, you just kind of have to be hunting in freaking snake proof freaking waders <laughs> i mean yeah the, the andrew was giving out oh, the east of the hill i mean today i said on the audio recording too <laughs> doing it crossing creek like, look at it, like i don't know you said something i freaking was like oh, I'm, I'm gonna die <laughs> well yeah so last week again you already heard this if you were uh if you were subscribed or on our patreon and you got to hear that in the field episode but we were walking around the snake pit this is a classic example of uh of a spot that we felt was overlooked is the first thing we, that we went and looked at. You got like a thicket behind the pinout board in the clubhouse. We kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but you got a thicket back there. It's a big, big pine, giant pine thicket. Pine th- yeah, Swampy, pine nasty pine thicket. And there's a, a row of hardwoods that basically runs out in the middle of it and then comes like a bulb. Like it, it bulbs out. And I'm like, there must be like a little pond or something right there. And so we went and walked down that, and sure enough, right there at the end of it, there's a little pond. And this is uh, 180 yards behind the skin and shed mm-hmm. and everything. The pinout box, skin and shed, all that stuff. 180 yards behind it in, in thick cover. And you walk down that little line of trees, and you get to the end, and you've got that pond. And that pond is just this, like, little stagnant pond, you know, kind of dirty looking. Mm-hmm. Slap full of cotton mouse, apparently. <laughs> Almost stepped on one. <laughs> but uh, all around it, the deer sign in there is is really heavy right now. There's a lot of tracks in there where, I don't know, they might be coming to get water right there. They might just be hanging out in the general area. But around the perimeter of that pond, you've got great big white oak trees, huge white oak trees, big red oak trees that are hanging off over into the thick cover. And uh, it's all kind of cleared out around them uh, where those trees are shading out stuff. So... We're thinking that if those actually drop this year, that's going to be a really, really good spot. Yeah, and that's where we talked about putting in a mock scrape speci- uh, specifically on one of those setups where the setup's actually going to be pretty awesome because we've cut, we cut a trail like the, the 
it's really is like a pit. It's a pond that has like a, almost like a cut bank around the edge of it. Mm-hmm. So like when you're walking down and in there, you're below like eye like the eyesight of anything that was say 15 yards off the pond, you know, just adjacent to you. But there's a couple trees that hang like just barely hang over over the pond. And again, light variable days, thermals and everything dropping down to the pond, especially on an afternoon hunt. Uh, but it's set up really, really good in there. And we had a, an, a spot that kind of picked out for, you know, putting a mock scrape in, kind of opening the area up a little bit. Well, I said open the area up, like take out some of the, uh, there's like some, some kind of shrub in there that once you take some of those out, you'll have a little bit of an opening underneath one of those white oaks that would make for a perfect mock scrape, just like what, um, what's his name? Who did mock scrapes with? Greg, Bre- Greg Scuffka. Greg Scuffka. There you go. Greg Scuffka from podcast we did and his book, Licking Branch Magic. Uh, he talks about doing those huge mock scrape setups. It was, you know, it's 30 feet wide, eight to 10 licking branches, and uh, and puts them like right in the edge inside that thick cover. That's exactly how this was set up. No, I think that'll be a really good spot for that. And it's also, I'm not going to call it a pinch point, but I, I like. I don't know, I guess this is just a term I'm going to start using, but it's kind of like a focal point in that thicket where you have a giant pine thicket, everything's kind of the same, everything's very thick, and then right out in the middle of it, you just have this line of trees that just juts out right into the middle of that thing. Well, that's like a feature that they're just going to naturally gravitate to, not only because there's going to be food there and there's water and it's diversity, but, you know, if they're out in that thicket, they can... You know, I don't know. They they just run into that edge, and they're probably going to follow it around the tip mm-hmm. of that thing. Um, either that, or you know, when it's a little bit shorter, they might actually use it as like a visual line of reference. But um, that seemed to be the case when we went in there and actually walked around the thicket off the tip of that thing. Uh, we found some tracks in there. We found some sign and uh, some giant blackberries too. Big, just I mean, booner booners. Big old blackberries. Yeah, so we had some guys laughing about that, like Booner blackberries. Never Booner blackberry. They were great too, man. They were delicious. They're growing in the shade. They were just plump, and sweet, no bad aftertaste. Man, they were so good. Yep. God, think about those blackberries today. <laughs> make, you, make, you, make you want to go back in there just for the blackberries. Honestly, though, great access too. Uh, it sets up really good for a, a, a day with. Very little wind activity because that pond behind you, your thermals are going to fall back into that thing. So you can access it very, very, very cleanly, especially if you have something pre-hung in there. So that's another spot I'm just excited about. I can't mm-hmm. wait to check that that camera. But little spots like that, dude. I mean, just going in there and just getting the stuff right under people's noses. It also reminds me of the very first episode we did with Adrian Farley. must have been like episode like 125 mm-hmm. or somewhere around there. Uh, he talked about, and he was doing this on public land, but finding travel corridors and thick cover right off the sides of roads. And he was finding bucks paralleling roads or crossing roads just right in this thick cover. And so he's just hunting whatever the legal distance off that road is and, and killing a lot of nice bucks doing that. Uh, that's something I, I want to try on this club because I, referencing another episode with somebody else, uh, Bill Vale, when we talked to him, he has a system where he draws lines across the map where if he's gone from point A to point B, what is the path of least resistance? Topo map. Topo map. And he does that over and over again from different angles. And then before long, you're going to have a bunch of lines intersecting each other in certain spots where 
you're always going through this one hub. You're always going through this one saddle. And those are the places that he goes and scouts. Well, I did that, and sure enough, it sets up like Adrian was talking about. And, you know, this is extremely common in, like, heavy timber country, like where they're cutting a lot of timber. All those all those uh, terrain features have a road on them, every one of them. Uh, every saddle pretty much has a road going through it. Uh, a lot of the hubs, you know, unless it's just like a really deep one, has a hub at least going around the edge of it. So uh, that's what I'm going to probably go look at next time I go scout is going to go I'm going to go look at some of these areas right off the road I'm going to go look 40 yards off the road in a place where there's no parking spot guys are driving past it they're going to a food plot and I'm just going to dive off the edge and just kind of scout the the buffer around that road until I find something that looks good because uh, I can totally see these deer paralleling those roads just out of sight and being totally fine with it and feeling perfectly mm-hmm. safe because no one no one's ever hunting them there you know? yeah no for sure for sure no it does set up for that and again kind of goes back to the whole chasing track thing i mean not to jump back to like rut topics but you know you're going to see that in those areas yeah like you're, you're going to see like these areas where these bucks are kind of cruising pretty close to those roads through mm-hmm. those terrain features you know if they are on a doe like you're going to see those sign that sign on the road itself yeah um so yeah, I mean, it, it, it lays out really nice. And again, it's going to be kind of exciting as we kind of talk more and more about the property, um, not only on the In the Field series uh, for both Patreon and Apple uh, subscribers, uh, but also just for the podcast to kind of see how everything breaks down. Because again, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing what the pressure turns out to be like. And again, us getting out there and scouting around some of these food plots that we know guys are wearing out. Mm-hmm. and that are in strategic locations that would make sense for a buck to be able to come in there and scent check that area before he ever goes in there. Um, there there's one in particular that comes to mind where it's in a pine thicket, and there's a big knob up above, like a big, uh, well, I say, we say knob. It's not really a knob. It's a, it's a very uh, large secondary point just above it in the pine thicket, and the food plot's at the base of it. And I'm like, I can totally see a buck bedded up top there um, and then kind of cruising down, you know, with the falling thermals and like, like go down and circle below that field and come into that field. Uh, and if someone was there, he's going to bust you every single time. Totally. So that, that's a, one of those areas out there that I really want to kind of check out and look at. But it just kind of shows when you kind of look at these, you know, hunting clubs and leases and stuff that you can still get away from people. Like it, it's not like it's, it's not like you're going to be on top of every single person. Like there's going to be guys that are, so you're going to have a couple guys that are going to be more hardcore kind of getting after it. But in reality, you're not going to have a ton of those guys in every single property. So you're going to be able to kind of get away from some people. If you start thinking from a mobile hunter mindset, you know, focusing on mobile hunting, focusing on, you know, kind of getting off the beaten path. Because, um, again, if a guy can't get his four-wheeler side-by-side, a truck, within a couple hundred yards of the spot, he's probably not going to be going there. Mm-hmm. So it's like start, you know, using that to your advantage. And again, like they talked about, you know, there's some roads that are impassable. Well, perfect. Chalk that up. That That's going to be something worth looking at in great detail. So, yeah, definitely. And, and also too, just the, just the whole chasing tracks thing. I don't think we really explained that. Do you know when we're going to get that guy on? Uh, whenever you want it. You tell me you're the one moving. You know, I try to do two podcasts. You're like, oh man, I can't do it. We're, we're moving <laughs> yeah, in that day. That's true. So <laughs> yeah, we need to get that guy on. But that, that, that guy, that's something that I've had success on public land with. So I'm, like, I'm just beyond excited to try that where you go find those tracks and especially after a good rain and we're getting into that part of summer now where I think a lot of the South is probably like this 
but especially this part of central Alabama, we're getting to that part of summer where there's like an afternoon shower like every other day, and you just got a clean slate every time that happens. And, you know, you get a good shower come through, give it a couple hours, and then go drive around out there and start finding those tracks crossing the roads, and then, bam, you've got up-to-date inventory of like, okay, they're right here. Like, they're in this area. Where to put trail cameras at, too. Yeah, and where to put trail cameras at, which is something we had a lot of luck with uh, last year or the year before. So I'm just really excited about that aspect of it because I've said this a whole bunch on the podcast. I probably said it, like, last week, I think. But usually when I end up killing a deer, it's like when I take a trip or when I get, like, a full weekend and it's, like, a day and a half or two days into it where I've just been hunting for, like, that long and I've been on top of them and everything and I kind of I'm in tune with what's going on out there. And that's usually when I end up killing a deer, so I'm excited to be able to hopefully kind of stay in tune with the area long enough where I can just kind of stay on top of them and know what's going on all season and really fine-tune my setups and everything and and uh, hopefully make something happen. Yep. Well, we got to get you out of here because uh, you got to go do a walkthrough for this new house. I sure do. So, appreciate everybody listening to the podcast, guys. Check out this outro coming out this week. Uh, it's going to be actually pretty interesting because we're not going to be breaking down this episode itself, but we're going to have a guest on. It's going to be a real fun one, guys, so you're not going to want to miss this week's outro on Friday, so check that out. Also, get, we appreciate everybody who's been listening to our Southern Waters Fishing Podcast episodes. Now, we've had some really interesting episodes come out very recently on that. You can go check that out as well. And I uh, appreciate y'all's support, so thanks again for for subscribing thank you for all you paying apple subscribers and patreon members y'all are fantastic and i hope you are enjoying these in the field series episodes that are coming out so thanks again and guys we'll catch you back here on this friday's episode of the southern outdoorsman podcast y'all stay southern Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.